Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Upside Swings podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined as always by Stone Hansen. And uh, the next in our series of guests, uh, the man of many takes, the food takes the ones he's most known for, of course, but uh, one of the smartest basketball minds out there, someone who is slowly making me a Pacers fan, uh, Mark Schindler. Mark, how you doing? I'm, uh, I'm really good. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, of course. Uh, the Pacers are sort of an interesting spot um, with the, you know, the recent hiring of former Mavericks coach, coach Rick Carlisle, uh, the 14th pick in this draft. Just just a lot of uh, interesting places the franchise can go uh, with that too big core, maybe not a core. Um, I recommend before we do this, uh, I'm going to plug another show, but Caitlin Cooper on Real GM Radio with Danny LaRue is for real like the best podcast I've listened to in like a year and a half. Uh, so go listen to that because it's everything you need about know about the Pacers right there. It's uh, it, it is absolutely perfect. But Mark Schindler has has broken into the draft Twitter realm with uh, an excellent piece on James Booknight, uh, big Scotty Barnes fan. So we're just we're just pumped to talk with him. So, Mark, I'm going to throw it to you. What do you think the Pacers' biggest needs are, um, and what do you think they can fill through the draft this year? Yeah. Um, I mean, they have a lot of needs, unfortunately, which is, like, really frustrating. Uh, I think – I look at this team, they definitely need athleticism um, is probably the top for me, which, you know, I, of course you want, you want more than that. Like, you have to have that with something. But, um, like, I was just thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I was like, you know, I think if you take Edmund Sumner off this team, they might be the least athletic team in the NBA, um, which really stands out. It was remarkable. They were still so good in transition this year. Um, but I mean, it, it stands out. They really just aren't athletic. I think the most athletic, I mean, other than Edmund Sumner, the most athletic player on the team is probably Miles Turner. Um, and because he has a different line of athleticism, not like necessarily like a run jump guy, like his jump is ridiculous, crazy vertical athlete. Um, but yeah, exactly. Like Miles Turner should not be your second most athletic player on your team. That's asking a lot out of what you've got. Um, but also they just need somebody who can bend a defense, but at the same time, they're probably not going to get somebody like that at pick 13. At least I would strongly doubt that it's very hard to make that happen. Um, so I would just say somebody who's athletic that has a lot of room to grow um, into uh, so, some kind of on-ball role is, is how I would look at it personally. But primarily, you know, if there's a wing or a forward there, go for it. But I think my philosophy with stuff is uh, you have to, of course, pick the best player available, but the best player that you're most confident you could actually make work in your organization. Because if you uh, like – with picking Gogo Batadze two years ago, he probably was the best pick available, but not for a team that is investing $37 million in two guys who can only play one position. Um, that was just kind of an, a nonsense pick. It was bad for Goga. He hasn't even played a thousand minutes in his NBA career yet. Um, and it's just like, it was funky at the time. It doesn't make as much sense now. So that's a really long-winded way of saying they need it. They need athleticism. They need more on the wing. Ideally, there's a 6'8 guy who can handle, shoot, and uh, and defend. Those guys just really don't exist once you get to pick 13. So uh, we have a lot of guys to talk about, though. You know, what's interesting, though, is in a draft like this, I feel like there's more bets 
like at that spot that are kind of given credit. Um, like you said, some guys will get into, um, but you know, I know you're, you're a big James book night fan. Your piece was excellent. Probably the, honestly, one of the best pieces of draft writing I've read so far. Um, so, so is book night a guy you would love to see on the Pacers? Cause I think he, you know, he clearly fills the athleticism requirements you were talking about. Um, not necessarily the on-ball guy, but you could see him bending at the defense in a different way. So, you know, do you want to kind of give a bit of your 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 book take there? Yeah, for sure. First of all, thanks, man. I appreciate uh, appreciate the kind words. I would just say with Book Knight, um, I understand why some people aren't as high on him. Like, I'm starting to see him top 10. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I like him a lot, and I think he's just going to be pretty context-dependent because a lot of people talk about how good his handle is, and it's just – it's not. I don't really understand – that take from a lot of people. I think if you watch uh, a couple of highlights, like he has, he has moves that you can get to that are quality. Like he has a, a right to left step back. That's fantastic. But the problem is how often he's getting there. Um, like you can just look at this year. He took a ton of pull at middies and it's not because he chose to take those shots. It's because he's not capable of getting to the rim a lot of times because his handle is just not there. Um, I think a lot of his handle issues come from core strength and just lack of it. Um, and that'll come with time. So, like, I really like him as a guy who go to the Pacers because, well, he's not exactly, like, where you want size-wise. Like, I think I look at him, uh, he's probably the best off-ball mover in the draft to me, uh, would be one of the best off-ball movers in the NBA. I mean, he does a lot of stuff intuitively that's really good. He sells all of his cuts in a way that, like, a, a veteran guy might not even do. Um I just like that aspect of his game. It's a really small nuance thing that adds a lot of, uh, a lot of context to him that I find interesting. Um, and like, I think he's somebody you can look at. He could, I, I don't like, there are very few guys who I think actually can have an immediate impact and be positive in the NBA, but he's somebody I look at. He could have a bench role right away um, and grow into a bigger role while playing alongside some quality players. And I think the biggest thing too, like having him play off of, dynamic screening is going to be really important because he doesn't have that handle yet. So having the ability to buffer somebody as they like making it easier for somebody to contribute right away while finding ways to, uh, to help them grow into a new role, I think is really important. And look like, I like, it's good to throw some guys to the, to the wolves at points, but like at the same time, I think it's good to, to maybe buffer what they're doing early on and, and help them grow, grow into a different role. Cause James book is not going to be a 30% usage guy in the NBA. Even if he hits his, his highest outcome, he's not that he's not going to command that kind of usage, or at least he shouldn't. Um, but I really like his fit and what he could do alongside the uh, modest bonus and just the core in general. Um, he would add a, a, a lot of uh, dynamics that I really enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Stone. I was going to say, I also enjoyed the, the book night piece. Um, and I agree with a lot of what you just said there. Um, and uh, not to change two gears too quickly here, but how um, a guy I really like for the Pacers, I'm not sure exactly if he, he lasts this far, but um, would be a guy like Keon Johnson, where I think he could thrive in sort of that low usage role. Cause you, you already have uh, guys like Karis LeVert um, and, Malcolm Brogdon, who are obviously going to soak up a lot of that guard usage, offensively speaking. Um, but Keon obviously is going to provide the, the athleticism that you talked about, probably uh, one of the best athletes, at least in this draft class, um, and can immediately help you, at least as a, a defender for opposing guards. Um, so he, he's a fit I've actually really liked 
for a long time for the Pacers. I'm not exactly sure if they'll, they'll last that far now. Um, but if, if he did happen to slip that far, how would you feel about the Pacers uh, taking him there? Yeah, I uh, I really like Keon. Um, I actually just brought I'm, – I'm higher on Jaden Springer. Um, like, I think uh, – it's actually really funny. I, so I posted my big board yesterday. And I had like people reaching out to me who are like like consulting scouts and like why are you so high on on Jane? I'm like I don't know, man. I just watch the games. Like he stands out a lot more to me. But with Keon, like um, he's awesome. Like his like we like you just mentioned. I mean his vertical. I wasn't. It's like when I saw. Uh, I think I can't remember who put the numbers. I was probably Wasserman who put out the the numbers. But like when I saw his uh, his his running jump vert was 48 and a half inches. I was like in awe but also i was like that makes sense for keon johnson like that's probably about right like one of the few guys you can think of who has that kind of vertical pop and you're not really that surprised to see that number um but the biggest thing for me with him like i think he's been ascribed as like always just an athlete um he does a lot of stuff really well like there are a lot of athletes who are great athletes but they're not good rim finishers because they don't have the means to actually uh, like contort their bodies. Um, like I think of somebody like Darius Baisley, who I wrote earlier this year, he's a top 10 percentile athlete in the NBA really struggles as a finisher right now. Cause he's not really there all together with his, uh, his ball skills uh, once he gets to the rim, but with Keon, like his, he's one of the probably what five best at rim finishers in this draft. Um, and that stands out a lot to me considering he, he was so late to getting to basketball um i'm really impressed with where his handle is at right now like it's functional for his size i don't think it's anything like special but um considering he's such a late bloomer i love that fit and i, I think he's going to be a fantastic defender he already is a fantastic defender um i do i wouldn't say i'm worried about his frame but like i i mean he needs to add quite a bit of weight and he's probably going to be slightly undersized in the nba but one of my most of, one of the things I get most annoyed with, I don't know if you guys do, but I really uh, am kind of sick of and tired of hearing like in draft analysis and stuff. Like, I just don't know what position he plays in the NBA. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Like, pretty much everybody's a tweener except for, you know, centers for the most part. Um, so, like, like I've, I see that with Joel Ayayi a lot. And I like Joel Ayayi a ton. Like, yeah, he's six foot three, six foot four. But um, so he's between being a two guard and a three. But like whatever, you know, he's, he's not going to be playing point of attack defense 24 seven. He's a good team defender. If you have, if, if you're a wing with skills and you do cool shit, then I think you're worth drafting. And Keon Johnson is a top 10 pick because of that. Um, so I, I would love that fit with the Pacers. I would take him over James Pope Knight. Yeah, I think too. So, so those two guys there, um, and even Joel AI to an extent, uh, though, he's probably more in play with their later picks than at yeah. 13. Um, they're someone who they're all players that can be really impactful off the ball. Um, so we had CT on, uh, he's the second in this series for the nuggets and Sabonis is sort of like a, like a diet Jokic, right. And how he can yep. run an offense. And I think the best way to maximize what he does would be with elite cutters and elite off ball movers. Um, someone I point out who, who almost certainly won't go at 13, but, I would take around 13 is Trey Murphy, the third, who I think is, he's a six, nine guy who I think could be a movement shooter. And with his athleticism, I think could be a really dangerous cutter as well. Like, like those types of guys um, really fit what you mentioned, which is like, you're, you want to take guys, you want to take the best player available, but you want to take the best player who 
will will fit into your system and that you think can really thrive. And with Sabonis likely going to be there, um, I would say of the two, Miles Turner is the one most likely to be traded. I, I could be wrong there, but no, you're probably right on that. Building an offense around Sabonis, I think, is going to require really good off-ball movers, guys who can create gravity without the ball in their hands to really maximize what what Sabonis can do with DHOs and in the post. And I think, you you know, those three guys uh, or four guys with Joel are all guys who I think do that um, to some extent, at least. And, uh, you know, a couple of them have upside to do even more. So I think those are really interesting players for, for fitting that kind of role you mentioned with, uh, with, with being able to thrive in this specific franchise. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, it's kind of funny. I feel like off ball movement is one of the things that's still, uh, not well conceptualized uh, and not just the draft, just in general. Like I think it gets kind of underrated and people think like, Oh, it's, it's such an easy thing for, for somebody to grow into and learn. I don't really agree with that. Like um, I think you can look at like, and this is not to knock Trey young, Trey Young's awesome. But like, we keep talking about, oh, well, if you just played like Steph when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, I'm like, okay, well, there's a reason why Steph Curry has talked about the way he is because very few guys are a capable of doing that. Like, it takes a ridiculous amount of, uh, of endurance and stamina to actually do that for an entire game. And also it's just like, it's not easy to like, I mean, like something I love about James Booknight is if, if he passes the ball, he moves right after he doesn't just stand there. Like part of it's, I mean, sometimes with sets, you're going to stand there and just space, but like doing something like if you're, if you're not involved in action, doing something meaningful without the ball in your hands is important. And, and like, you're just mentioning, like, I, I agree. I think cutting, and uh, an awful movement needs to be speaked about, spoke, speaked about, Jesus Christ, spoken about a little bit higher because I think it's, uh, especially in talking about like, you know, playing off of somebody else's gravity, you you have to be able to uh, um, to actually do that. Like you can't just be a static shooter. Like I'd so much rather draft somebody who has concerns about their shot consistency than than somebody who I'm not really sure what their handle is or if they're going to be uh, a great a great mover. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's some other guys that, who I who I think might be in play um, around the Pacers pick that I, I just wanted to throw at you. Um, the first one is Josh Giddy, um, who you kind of mentioned at the beginning. We're talking like it'd be nice to have a guy who's six eight can handle shoot and defend. Well, he, he might not be able to defend, but he can maybe <laughs> yeah. he can maybe you know pass and shoot. So, do you have any Giddy thoughts? Uh, just I, I'm interested because I think he. To me, he like I just can picture him in a Pacers uniform. I don't know what it is, but uh, I like him a lot in Indiana. Yeah, so I uh, I did my first big board yesterday, um, and I the entire time leading up to it, like it, it took me like a good hour or two to really come up with everything I wanted, and uh, I ended up putting him number five. And I uh, it was really funny because I was not expecting that at all. Um, like, and really like. I kept kind of talking myself out of it in some ways. I was like, Oh, you know, I just don't, I don't know if I see it with him. Like I was going to have him lottery for sure. But then I ended up putting him at five and feeling good about it. If he's there for Indiana, as much as I like, he is like the most anti-fit type guy I can think of for this team because they need athleticism. They need somebody who can play better point of attack defense. But if Josh Kitty's there, they have to take him. Um, in my opinion, I don't, I don't know if they will, um, but that's the kind of guy where I'm like, you, you just, 
you can't fuck around with that. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this pod, but like you can't mess around with that. Uh, Because if there's an opportunity to draft him, I think it would be a mistake to pass up on him. Yeah, for sure. I think his, uh, a lot of people, at least within like the draft Twitter circle, uh, have him at least top 10 for most people. Um, And I think getting him at 13 would just be really great value and, and best player available by a, a good enough margin to where you can justify taking a best player available over the fit, unlike maybe like a, a Goga, like you said, where the, where the gap maybe might not have been as justifiable. Um, another guy I wanted to get your thoughts on real quick uh, before we move on would be um, someone who might has the upside to be a pass dribble and defend type, guy, which is Zaire Williams. Zaire Williams. Um, he obviously didn't have a great season at Stanford with multiple factors, which mean Bryce covered in, in other pods. We don't have to get into that too much, but um, his, his shooting and, and uh, shot creation is something I think that you're not going to find uh, a whole lot of past him um, in terms of where he'll go in the draft. And uh, his size, obviously in the combine measured at like 6'10 in shoes, um, so there, there's a side, a guy who can create his own shot at his size is something I don't think you see um, too often. And being able to do that uh, at a position of need where the Pacers aren't uh, super deep at, at forward, um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on how you think he fits in the Pacers and um, how you sort of see his developmental curve uh, while being on the Pacers. Yeah. Um... He's a guy I'm planning on doing. Uh, I'm probably going to do a breakdown on Springer first and then do one on Zaire after. But I, uh, in watching Zaire, like I, he's probably the guy I'm the most across the board on uh, in the draft class. And I feel like that's probably synonymous for a lot of people. But uh, I mean, there are days where I'm like, yeah, I could, I would take him with the top 10 pick. And then there are days where I'm like, I don't know if I would take him in the lottery. And, um, it's it's so tough because like he can create his own shot and when it hits it's awesome but I just have like a lot of concerns about the fact that he can't take anybody off the dribble really like he has a good handle he can but he just can't get to where he wants to go um and that's why he's taking some of these really ridiculously tough shots and when like again I think I just I think the shot's probably better than the numbers would display um but I also am just like I'm really hesitant with guys who are everything is from the pull-up like it's different for me with like I, I don't I, I have Zaire higher because like I'll, I'll talk more about positive stuff in a second but like I have Zaire higher than Trey Mann because I think Zaire has the potential to be a better player but with Trey Mann like I can trust him getting to the rim uh even when he is taking as many pull-ups as he is but with Zaire I'm just not really sure what that is for him um but I think if you were like I would be pretty content with the Pacers taking him. I think it would be uh, – I would just have a, a lot of questions in how they're uh, trying to develop him because I think if you're bringing him on to a team that is trying to win right now, what is his role? Um, like, if he's not hitting spot-ups, which I think he will, I'm not really too worried about that. But, I mean, how are you growing him on ball while still trying to be a winning team? Because I think that's going to be really tough to see how that plays out. Um, and it's not necessarily like – I don't know how I would necessarily put put out, um, you know, I don't know everything about how to develop a guy in the NBA. Like there's still a lot that I have to learn about that. He's somebody to me, I don't know if you guys agree, but I think he's somebody who's going to probably need G league time. Um, at least I wouldn't be surprised if he does. And I don't think it's a knock. That's just like, you need time to learn that stuff. But I do think if he's able to put on functional weight 
which that's my other concern with him. Like he reminds me a ton of like, I don't like making comps, but he reminds me a lot of like looking at somebody like Jared Jeffries, like from when I was a kid growing up, he was a guy who was really toolsy, had uh, like the, everything kind of hinged on his jumper a little bit, was a smart defender, um, but he just never was able to really put everything all together um, and struggle with injuries because he never really was able to, he just was always kind of a rail thing guy. He was really long. Um, I just have concerns about what Zaire's functional weight is going to be. Cause he's, I mean, I think he weighs what I do right now and he's 14 inches taller than I am. So it's like, bro, what are we doing here? Uh, I'm five foot eight. Like, I mean, come on. Um, it's not that simple, obviously, but like, I, uh, I, I think if you have, you, you really have to have a, a strength and conditioning team and a player development team that are bought into to finding a way to make him, uh, to help him develop into the player that that he could be. Um, but even then, like, even if he doesn't hit, like, some, you know, top-end shot creator type, like, I think he could be a really good ancillary wing uh, who plays – like, I love his defense. I love his point of attack defense, I should say. His help defense could be a lot better. But, um, I mean, he's somebody – again, like, he's a guy who – he has flaws, but I think his upsides are really there. And if you take him in the lottery, that's not a mistake. So Zaire is someone um, who's sort of risen on my board, kind of despite my better judgment. Um, I'm with you where I hate making comps, but mm-hmm. I, I, he like he reminds me of Kevin Knox as a prospect, and I I love Kevin Knox. Like Kevin Knox was the Ooh, first guy who I was. That's like, not a comp you want to make, man. <laughs> no, R. and R. he's R. he's way smarter than Kevin Knox as like a player. Like his basketball IQ is is not to speak to their off court IQ. I've never talked to either. I'm sure Kevin Knox is a wonderful human being. Um, but like Zaire clearly shows more basketball IQ, um, on the floor when he's playing, especially as a passer in a way Kevin Knox never did. Um, but like as a prospect, I like Kevin Knox, I think on a lot of teams still would have been a good player. Yeah, He just sort of ended up in a situation with the Knicks where he was, he probably needed G league time. And he probably, but he was sort of, he had that awesome summer league, right? And then he was immediately seen as the savior of New York out of nowhere as the ninth pick. And I think everything is sort of compiled on to make his career. Like this is probably like a fifth percentile outcome for Kevin Knox. And with Zaire, I see a lot of what I like with Kevin Knox, the size, the shot creation, different types of how they create their shots. But I think, in the right development system, Zaire Williams is going to be a very good NBA player. Whether that's an all-star or anything, I, I, I'm I, not one to say. But there's also very few people I, I trust more to develop rookie wings and, and young wings than Rick Carlisle. Um, just Rick Carlisle's has a knack for putting all his players in advantageous situations. He made J.J. Barea the, one of the most important players in a finals series. I mean, let's not overlook how absurd that, like JJ Bray is a very good player. He was the second best player on a finals winning team, basically in 2011, um, at least for that, for that finals. Um, I just think he'll be able to put Zaire in an advantageous situations. It's the same with Giddy, who we talked about earlier. Um, he'll be able to figure out what those strengths are as a player early on and, and get him, to those spots um and that's a that's a confidence i can have with the pacers now that i i didn't last year despite the fact that i was kind of high on the yorker and signing at first yeah um 
Yeah, we don't have to talk about that guy anymore. Uh, but, no, no we'll kidding. leave him. Yeah, um, it, it, just like the person who Dallas is going to hire, we won't we won't talk about. Um, yeah, but uh, no, yeah, that's a good point though. Like I, that's I think that's what I'm most excited about for Rick Carlisle as coach. Um, like he's somebody who I never have concerns about him getting the most out of everybody on a roster. Um, and that was kind of an issue for the Pacers this past year, especially for like there was a large chunk of the season where they're playing Brogdon and Sabonis almost 40 minutes per game, which was absurd in the moment still absurd looking back um as a team that doesn't really have a a true like 1a type player or anything you have to get the most out of your roster so i'm really excited about that and i know like people bring up well josh green didn't play that much well like i mean it's it's different like i i i do wonder what zaire's role would be on on a team but i do also think like he'd have a lot more opportunities on the pacers than josh green had with the mavs um but yeah no i agree i'm excited for that yeah, um, and then I'll just throw it back to you, Mark, just real quick. Are, are there any other guys who, who fit that you really like that you want to hit on? Um, let me pull up my board again. Sorry. Yeah, I, no, uh, no, you're good. I get I do like, okay, so this is my first real year doing draft work, and I am absolutely loving it. It's uh, very time-consuming, but it's awesome. Like, I just love going through and watching guys' games unfold. Um, like, it's kind of fun. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I, I was just going to say there's something special about like watching tape, like because so much when you watch a game, you're watching the whole game. But when I watch mm-hmm. tape, like I'll watch one guy, how he moves throughout every possession and like not really move my eyes off of him. It's just sort of a different watching yeah. experience. I, I really love it. Yeah, definitely. Um, So it's not even that I'm sure that they'll be there at 13. It's just more like guys that I really like and I would love to see develop on the pace. There's one guy for me who I don't understand why people aren't higher on uh, is Terrence Shannon Jr. Like he is somebody who I think will end up being one of probably the 20 best players in the class. Um, He has a lot that he needs to improve on still, but I just think he's going to be a guy who can get on the court early. Um, Like he's going to be a very positive impact defender uh, early on. And I think his offense has been underrated in some ways. Like I know there are concerns with his shot, but also it's just small stuff that he's going to have to tweak. It's probably going to be a, a majority rework on it um, based on, I, I'm, I mean, you guys know who PD is. PD did a great, great uh, NDSP on, uh, on Terrence Shannon Jr. But like for me, he has good ball skills. He's a good rim finisher, can get to the rim and, and draw fouls at a high rate, plays really physically. Um, I just like everything about him. Like wings who, who do cool shit is, is my draft philosophy. Like if you are a wing who can do cool shit, if you can figure a, one or two extra tools out, like if he can just develop a little bit with his right hand, because right now he can't dribble with his right hand, which is a problem, but he's able to attack a closeout going left. So there's that. Um, there's like, I, I don't know. I trust him to make the extra pass. Like uh, if you get a guy who's, who's six six with wingspan, that is going to be able to hit shots and just play smart and play quality defense. Like that's somebody who I think should be drafted in the first round. I, I know a lot of people have him in, in their second. Um, I don't know. Where are you guys at with Terrence Shannon? So I just want to say you're speaking my language with, with the wings who do shit. That's sort of my whole thing too. Uh-huh. You know, as much as I want to, as I want to pat myself on the back and say I'm a, I'm a big draft Twitter guy or whatever, it's just if you look at my board, it tends to just be a lot of wings that do shit or or guards <laughs> that have clear skills, yeah. um, that translate. Um, yeah, I mean, I have Terrence Shannon Jr. in that like I have an 18 to 33 tier, mm-hmm. um, and he's in that. So just 
13 would be a little bit of a reach for me. Oh yeah, no, definitely. But, I wouldn't, I would not take him 13, but he's somebody but, like if, yeah. if they like traded down or they traded up, like he's a guy who I would love there. Yeah. Um, another I, guy, like, I mean, for other 13, I'm not like, I guess if Franz was there, sure. I'm not like the biggest Franz Wagner guy. Like I, I, I understand it with him. I see it. Um, but I, like, I don't know. I'm not like, I'm not all in on him. Um, I get the, uh, the concept and I actually think he would probably be a pretty good fit in Indiana. Um, part of it's just, I wouldn't want to like have like a, a lot of Pacers fans are like, Oh, he's, he'd be such a typical Pacers pick. You know, white guy who can, who can do stuff who played in the Midwest. Like, yeah, that's probably fair, but um, maybe that's why I see Giddy as a Pacer is cause he's, he's a white <laughs> dude with the fro, like, or the, flow. but he's not from the Midwest. So there's that, he's um, not. but I mean, with Franz, like, he legitimately I, – I just – my questions with him are, uh, like, I, I'm not worried about the shot because just historically his shot's fine. Um, I think some of the concerns there are a little bit overwrought. Um, he can, like, legit run pick and roll. His playmaking is fantastic. But I also just have a lot of questions about his athleticism, um, not really being a rim protector but being kind of caught between a 3-4. Like, I don't know if I um, – like, I mean, I think he'll be a good positional defender and can make rotations, but um, I mean, just to me, he's not like quite what I like. I, he gets lauded as a really high level defensive prospect, and I think he'll be a good defensive prospect, but I don't I don't know if I'm quite there um, with how some people view him defensively. But um, that was not really a ringing endorsement. Like I like Franz, yeah. but I, I just didn't like I would rather swing on a guy like James Booknight than, than take Franz Wagner. Absolutely. That's yeah, that's interesting. I'm a little lower on night than you, but, uh, you know, I love the enthusiasm. I love the difference of opinions. There's, uh, you know, I, I like Franz, I think probably a bit more than you, mm-hmm. um, because I do think he is a slightly better defender, I, like specifically in help. I think his, his rotations, the nail are really sound. And even yeah. if you're not like the greatest athlete at taking advantage of those, he is six, nine with long arms. Like he, you know, it's not like Max Abemus making really good rotation with the nail. <laughs> you know, it's it is like a dude with some size, and I see him more as a four. So, you know, I don't know if that brings in question with fit in the roster or anything. But uh, yeah, I like uh, someone who I don't think would go this high, but who I would love to for them to take. Who who definitely increases the athleticism is JT Thor. Um, maybe after this crazy combine, there's a possibility. Uh, I don't know. I don't know your thoughts. I, Stone and I, notable Thor and Kai Jones fans. So, so yeah. I um. So I have, admittedly, I have not seen a ton of JT Thor. I was watching Auburn Baylor today. Um, I understand why people are are really excited about him. I just, I mean, that's like, I'm not quite there um, with taking him lottery. Um, like I it, just in. I mean, today is the first time I really fully dove into him, so I don't have a great opinion. I mean, from what I saw today, I would probably move him first round, um, but I don't, I don't know about lottery. Um, I like, okay, so he's a guy who can create his own shot. Theoretically, he can hit the three, uh, but like, I just think his feel, like, I know it's part of it's like it's really tough because uh, he hasn't been playing basketball super long, if I remember correctly. Um, but like his reaction time, even on defense, is really rough right now, um, and he's going to be a real uh, some somebody who you're really going to have to invest in. Like I think 
it's tough for me seeing him with the Pacers because like Rick Carlisle does not let guys play through mistakes a lot of times. So um, I'm interested to see what that would look like. Um, he just, I don't know. Again, I don't, I don't have a super well-informed JT Thor opinion, um, but I do understand uh, like why people are into him. Like the defense is going to be legit. Awesome. And I mean, if the wingspan is even like, I mean, it was reported what seven, eight and a half. Yes. I, I still like struggle to believe that, but sure. I mean, like it probably is true. His arms are insanely long, but um, I don't know where, where are you at with him? Because I'm not, I mean, I still need, I want to watch a lot more on him. Um, I'd definitely be a lot higher on Sharif of course, but. Stone, go ahead and, and take the, take the Thor propaganda. Yeah. Um, Thor, toolsy big guys are, have kind of become my brand, I guess, at this point. I was super high on Bull Bull. That was a mistake, but I guess I can't learn from my mistakes because I'm still high on Kai and Thor. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, with the timeline that Indiana is working with, I'm not exactly sure if Thor is like the ideal fit there just because I agree with you that he's going to have to it's going to be like a two, three year project with Thor. I don't think it's going to be someone who kind of impacts you immediately uh, or, or really even helps you that much. And that's a good point you brought up with Carlisle. He's, he's not going to give him too long of a leash that I think Thor will need to, to kind of get the development and the reps that he'll, he'll need to develop. Um, but yeah, there, there's, <laughs> we, we had a whole podcast and I went on and on about him. He's, I mean, a toolsy guy that's big, that can, maybe possibly take the, the crown as the best lateral mover in this class at his size. Um, and a guy who, like you said, the wingspan um, and can stretch the floor. Like to me, there's just too many, too many tools there that is um, too enticing to not try and develop. Uh, and, and for me, that's, that's worth trying to develop at a top 10 pick. Uh, but like you were saying with, with the Pacers, I'm not exactly sure that's necessarily the fit that's going to maximize him. Um, but to get back to Franz real quick, cause I actually really like that, that fit there. Um, especially defensively because Franz is another guy who's super long, uh, but with Franz, he, he uses his length so well, especially, uh, on perimeter defense. I think he's possibly the best perimeter defender in this class, uh, just because he's, he's able to really maximize his positioning in, uh, to where he can use the length to affect people because he understands he's not going to be able to beat them. Uh, with foot speed or anything like that. Uh, so I, I really like his fit there. And I think he's someone who can provide some playmaking when um, Lavert or Brogdon take, take a seat for a little bit of while, for a while. Um, he's not going to be a guy you, you necessarily rely upon as a, a primary, but um, even as a secondary creator, I think he makes a lot of sense there. Uh, so I like Franz there. Um, but to keep it moving along a little bit, because I know uh, – this is probably going to be one of our longer podcasts, but we're, we're having a blast doing it. Um, yeah, no, me too, man. Yeah, it's been one of the more fun ones, I think. Um, who, so let's say you guys keep the pick. Who would be like your worst case scenario, whether you keep the pick in terms of like, uh, who would you really just, it would be like a nightmare if the, if the Pacers took them here. Or what would be like a nightmare trade scenario where the, the pick is included for you? Um, well, the doomsday scenario would be drafting another big. Um, so if Alperin <laughs> Shangun uh, was drafted by the Pacers, I would just find another team to cover. Um, <laughs> no, no, I mean, that's not going to happen. But if it like that's just theoretically if it did like imagine 
like I, I can just imagine if they traded like say say they trade Miles and then they're like oh well he's the best player available so we'll take we'll take him. I would I would oh god I'd write like a five thousand word article on how stupid it was. Um, I like uh, Shangen to be fair. Like I just like he's so skilled. He's so good. Um, but that yeah that fit would be otherworldly terrible. Um, I um I'm just not there with Corey Kispert as a lottery pick. Like I get what Corey Kispert can do. Um, but I would rather swing on somebody. Like I think Corey Kispert's going to be really good, but um, I don't know. Let's just be ballsy. Actually, like try and uh, try and enforce something in player development. Enforce your draft philosophy. Figure out what you really want to do. You can't be a small market team and just like continue to um, punt on draft picks. Is the wrong way to put it. But like this is their first lottery pick since Miles Turner in 2015, and they have to hit it. Like that, you have to you have to make the most out of out of the uh, the chances that you do get to pick high um, and just picking in general. You can't really, I, I mean, I just don't think you can be a, a poor drafting team when you're, you're not one of the five most attractive free agent destinations. Um, so that would be a worst case scenario is drafting Corey Kispert to me. And it's not even like terrible, like he would be good in Indiana, but like you have to, if, if you're, if you're just going to sell on, Drafting Corey Kispert at 13, I have I have some real problems with that um, in terms of how you're viewing what your team is doing because you could go get like I mean all right just resign Doug McDermott if you want to get Corey Kispert um, is the way that I would look at it. I don't really see anybody else who I think would be a massive uh, like a critical failure to me or anything. Um, like another guy who I really like that I wouldn't mind them swinging on. I don't know about 13. Um, but I like Rocco Percussion a lot. Um, and I think he would be a really fun, intriguing guy who could potentially fit. Um, but I, 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 I mean, I think I'm higher on him than, than most people. Um, I know like most mock drafts have him like late second and shit. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, have we watched him? Like, I mean, come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really, I really don't have a lot of guys who I wouldn't like to get picked. I think I'm just really enamored by this draft and like a lot of the guys. Um, okay. I, all right. One guy that I would add, I don't like the idea of drafting Usman. Um, I like Usman a ton. I just don't think like Usman Gruba next to Demonis Sabonis is not ideal to me um, in any way, shape or form. Like I no, I don't, I don't, I don't like that fit. I, I think it kind of hampers uh, both players in a lot of regards. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I... Uh, I think you might have just extended our podcast like 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Rocco's name because Bryce is just, yeah, he's gonna be all over that. So I'll let right. him over. <laughs> so so before, yeah, no, so you just gave it you just gave us a ton to work with. Uh and I and I should not have expected anything less. Um, but first I just want to touch on you mentioned Sengun um or Shengun, however you however you say that. I'm not you, really sure how you say yeah. it in all honesty. Yeah, either uh, yeah. Um Camp thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out another pod the podcast you did with with Evan and uh, Henry Ward. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Ward says something about Shed Gun that like perfectly sums up all my thoughts, and I couldn't do it any better. So I, so honestly, I'm like kind of past talking about Shed Gun anywhere because I'll just link that. Uh, it was a great it was a great talk about Biggs, um, but you know Roko is my guy. Um, I think what's funny about Roko in Indiana is that he actually reminds me a lot of TJ Warren. Yeah. Um, like in terms of, in terms of how they were as prospects, uh, like 
TJ Warren was someone who wasn't a shooter as a prospect, even his first couple of years in the league, wasn't really a shooter, had a shot that kind of looked like it wouldn't translate. Um, but just kind of a professional scorer, uh, really good touch on floaters, uh, has a sort of mentality that just really likes to push it all the time, is constantly trying to get to the rim. Um, Rocco is also, I think, a really underrated passer. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that's his number one like translatable skill is is his passing with mixed with his athleticism. It's sort of um, he's not he sometimes misses obvious reads, uh, and he still clearly needs some like time to figure things out as an offensive on ball player. But there are times he flashes flashes really high level reads, um, and then also like uh, Danny Oru calls it like um, passing vocabulary like just the amount of ways he can throw passes left hand, right hand off the dribble um, out of the post. Like he just has a lot of different types of passes he can throw. Um, to me, I have him 10. I'm like I, I'm all in on Rocco. Uh, just someone who I think is really, really underrated by the mainstream. Um, and I'm hoping falls to my jazz at 30. Uh, we, we shall see. Um, but yeah. And then uh I'll throw it back to stone when he's ready to, to talk about Usman because uh, that's his guy. I, I'm, I'm sort of with you on Usman where I see the appeal and I like a lot of Usman's skill set, but I, I do question a bit of the translatability and especially like, I think he's, he's a little bit more context dependent than we, than we give the credence to because, you know, like his skill sets are so obvious with his, I mean, just incredible on-ball defense, the best on-ball defender in the class. Um, you know, some people see him as a big. I see him more as like a wing forward. But if you do see him as a big to sort of be that switchable uh, small ball five. But to me, I- I'm with you where it's like next to next to a Sabonis. Like, does he really fit there? I think he needs a more specific context. But Stona, what, what do you think of Usman here in Indy? Yeah, um... So I do like Usman quite a bit. Like I have him top 10, but my my concerns with Usman specifically in Indiana would be just the fact that obviously the shooting is the the weakness there with him, right? Like you're, you're betting, if you're taking Usman, you're really betting, if you're taking him that high, you're betting on him developing as at least like a a spot up shooter, which I think at this point is even somewhat questionable for him. Um, and, And then offensively, so because of that I think he's sort of relegated to being a small ball five offensively um if you're not able to really shoot and you're his size I think just sort of by default you're asked to be a small ball five in today's league um and you're you're for one you're taking away minutes from Sabonis and or Turner at, at that position and then for another he somewhat overlaps with Sabonis I think in terms of being a small ball five where he, if he's in that small ball five position, he's going to be passing out of the short roll or um, making some of these high low uh, passes, which he's a really good passer, but you probably don't want to take that away from Sabonis at this point. So I think there's just some overlap there and it's kind of a clunky fit. So I definitely see why that would be sort of a worst case scenario because as much as I like Garuba, I think he is somewhat context dependent and I don't think, Indiana is necessarily the proper context for him to achieve his higher end outcomes. Yeah. And I think I would add to like, I'm, I mean, I'm high on Usman. I really like Usman. 
Um, it's just the thing. Yeah, it's the fit for Indiana is really poor. I like. I would actually agree with you, Bryce. I think he's more of like a four in some regards. Um, like he's gonna have to play small ball five in some lineups too. But um, like I like Dallas as a fit for him. Like they're not gonna. They're probably not gonna be in a spot to draft him. But like a, like if you could play alongside a rim protector who allows him to actually play out on the perimeter more and flex like that. Like, I think that's a better context for him. And I just, it's not going to happen in, D, in Indiana most likely. Yeah. So not, not to try and bog too much down into like positional philosophy or anything, but for me, I like, I prefer my small ball fives. And I think the best small ball fives uh, wreak a little bit more havoc than he does. Like to me, I see him more in like an OG Ananobi role on defense, not like a Draymond Green role. Uh, you know, Draymond Green is, for my money, the greatest help defender of all time um, in terms of just every type of help defense you could want, every sort of pick and roll coverage he can run. Like, he's an actual versatile defensive, like, big if he plays the five. I don't think Usman can, like, play in a drop the way Draymond can or, or, or like, or, or run, like, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't see that. I, I see him as if he's a small ball five, he's a small ball five in the way Marcus Morris is for the Clippers where it's, he's always switching, which, which has its utility, especially in the playoffs. But that's not like, if I'm constructing a team, I'm not taking that guy to be my five, if that makes sense, because he doesn't, I, I, I don't think Usman is like all that great of a help defender. He makes the right moves, but he's not an incredible rim protector in my opinion. Um, he doesn't have the greatest like he doesn't have the greatest nail rotations he just he has incredible hands and long arms and he's built like a brick shit house and moves really well to me that sounds a lot more like someone i want to put on Kawhi or or lebron and he's not going to stop those guys but he's going to make them work um that doesn't sound like you know draymond who is a, a completely different beast and no one should ever be compared to draymond but like sort of in that mold if that makes sense yeah, no, yeah. that totally makes sense. I would agree that offensively or defensively, I definitely see him more as a wing. I, I should have made that a little bit more clear, I think, where his greatest strengths, I think, are playing uh, like those stronger perimeter guys, like you're mentioning, like Kawhi and things like that, where I, I think that's probably where he thrives because he's not really a rim protector at this point. He has the bounce, I think, to eventually be able to develop into that uh, for stretches at least. Uh, but at, at this point, I definitely see him more as a perimeter-oriented defender um, who, who can handle bigger guys. Uh, but that, that's not necessarily where you're, he's, his bread and butter's at. Um, but offensively, I think he's just sort of relegated to being a small ball five um, in, in a lot of contexts. I think, um, like Mark was saying, in Dallas, where maybe you have a stretch big like Porzingis who can uh, – you know, play a five like that in that sort of context, I think it makes a lot more sense for him to be uh, more of a four offensively. Um, but yeah, I, I just think um, offensively speaking, I would say he's more of a small ball five, but then defensively uh, more of a wing guy. Um, so, but he is a funky, funky guy. So that that's what makes it hard um, to picture in Indiana. Uh, but yeah. I think yeah. that's fair. So I know this is going long, but there's one more guy that just popped in my head for Indiana, someone I'm higher on than maybe anyone else I know, and that's Trey Mann. Uh, you kind of mentioned him earlier, but I think I think an element that the Pacers are really missing on offense is just like like a legitimate go-to scorer. Um, maybe T.J. Warren could be that. He missed this whole year. 
seemed like he wanted out of Indiana, if I remember that reporting right. It was, you know, a lot going on in Indiana this year. Um, but, like, Trey Mann, I think, has the potential to be the guy in this range. Um, and he's even lower on, on quite a few boards and mock drafts. Um, who who has, like, a legitimate, like, path to stardom, like, full-on all-star type player. Because pull-up shooting is, is the most important guard skill in the league right now, or at least one of the most. And he does that while being 6'5", and also running a really good pick and roll and generating a solid amount of rim pressure despite not being a good finisher. Um, he's someone who I think would, would be an excellent fit in Indy. I could see him playing off of Sabonis next to both Karras and Brogdon and Warren. Um, I think he's a seamless fit, and he also has the type of long-term upside that to pair with that um, maybe immediate help that, that I think he becomes an interesting fit. Yeah. Um, I like Trayman a lot. Uh, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm not entirely sure with him as a playmaker yet. Um, I need to do more of a dive into watching him run pick and roll. Like I think he has the gravity, but the pass placement just isn't there yet. Um, like he has a lot of, like, I think he's a fine passer, but I'm just not entirely sure about him as, as like a number one guy, but I do agree. Like the pull-up shooting is insane. Uh, he's so good. Um, I mean, I would be content with the Pacers taking him, but I just wonder what that looks like. I don't know if he has that kind of role in Indiana. Um, and that's more about where the Pacers are at than him. Like, I, I do think he has that upside on a team. Um, but like, I mean, looking at day one, you're not taking the ball out of Brogdon or, or Levert's hands to put it in his. Um, and I think I would, I mean, I would just ideally look at somebody who's a two feet in the paint guy even more often. Um, like, I do think that he's he's probably a better downhill guy than he's maybe getting credit for because Florida's um, talent wasn't necessarily awesome. Um, like, Scotty Lewis is really good. Unfortunately, Keontae Johnson missed most of the season. But, um, like, I don't know. I'm growing on Trey Mann because um, I, I, I had actually a lot of people reached out to me about having him. I think I had, had him 24th on my board yesterday, which I felt good about. But I started watching him again today, and I, I might move him up higher in, like, the coming weeks. But – um, the pull-up shooting is legit, and I think the the playoffs are definitely making me think more about what that means in the grand scheme. But I still think getting to the rim is the biggest thing for me. And I'm, I'm like, I think, I mean, where are you guys at with him and, and him getting to the rim? Because he's not like bad. It's just more like he has a lot of the uh, a lot of gaffes, like trying to get the ball up to get to the rim. I think he's good at getting to the rim, but actually scoring there is where I have uh, have some questions. I think his his rim pressure is sort of weird. Um, and it, and it's, I think it's in tandem with the passing. Um, I think he's kind of easy to help off. And I, I couldn't tell, like I've watched every Trey man game, um, some of them twice. And I still can't tell if some of it is just the, his, his teammates or if it's him, but like, he, he really does not make like skip passes. Well, he doesn't yeah. like pass out very well. He's, he makes his interior passes to the roller really yeah. pops though. Like that's mm -hmm. what I thought was special about him. But yeah, the, the skip pass is like, not there. He, 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 and I think that affects like how teams can play him. Um, you saw they would like lots of times they would have someone split the far corner and bring a guy all the way in to, to help, you know, maybe even to double Colin Castleton on a roll um, because they just knew Trey couldn't make that pass. Or if he tried to, he would have to stop and fully bring it over his head. And then that guy can just play with however it goes. And it's, it's, 
and and again like he he didn't have a lot of shooting around him um i'm blanking on the one guy's name who, who just had like a ton of crazy dunks but nothing else um but like lots of times he would be stationed out in the corner and couldn't do anything um you know scotty lewis is a guy you're probably okay leaving but i think his rim pressure is something that can get there with his handle and his pull-up gravity it's just he sort of has to learn how to capitalize on it but i think that's something that can generally be learned at the nba like i still think miles bridges who is who is a different type of athlete obviously than trey man but i mean going from being a pretty horrendous finisher and not necessarily like a great player in the league to really improving his finishing this year and honestly becoming like a piece of the hornets core i think and some of that is better passing to get him open but I just think there's always a trajectory of like guys get into the league and become better finishers. Um, that's just like, it's like shooting and finishing are two skills. I, I generally trust to improve uh, in the NBA, at least somewhat though, you know, some people are far enough gone that they'll never get there. But I think Trey Mann with his combination of skills can eventually be a solid finisher and generate enough rim pressure that with you having to guard him, guard that pull up 30 feet out, it, it sort of, makes it work it worth it especially with that dynamic role man like the Sabonis. yeah and then one, one final point i would make because i know we got to keep it rolling here and i appreciate mark taking his time out with us um would be um i'm really like you mentioned his interior passing really pops uh and being able to make those entry passes into someone like sabonis i think we'd play really well with him uh getting that chemistry where um i think uh, obviously, post up isn't really something that the game's predicated on anymore, um, but something that I think Sabonis can uh, use at times. So being able to make those entry passes, um, and then he's a good he's a good enough off ball mover and cutter where I think uh, sort of those give and go type plays would uh, benefit both of them. Um, so I could see that fit happening there in Indiana. Uh, but before we head on out here, um, one final question we had for you was. Is there any sort of trade that makes sense to you where the Pacers either move up in the draft to try to get someone they target that they don't think might be there at 13 uh, or move down because they think this is a, a pretty deep draft or even move out and package a pick with maybe another player or something like that? Is there any scenario where you would like to see or that you think um, might actually happen on draft night? Yeah, I mean, I think I've been trending towards the idea that they might trade the pick. Um, and I think that uh, – it's not for sure or anything, but I do think it's very possible that that happens. Like um, I could really see them packaging one of the bigs with this first rounder and whatever else they need to fill to, uh, to bring in another perimeter player or a wing or a forward, whoever um, to try and solidify this roster in a way that makes sense for them. Because I don't think that they should, uh, that they should go forward even to start the year with both guys. I know some people are saying that they want to see Rick Carlisle uh, try out both, but I just, I'm, I'm not there. I think we've seen enough of them in my opinion to know that it's time to go in a different route, but um, they might think otherwise. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could realistically see that happening, but I also think too, I wouldn't mind. Uh, I mean, I guess I would kind of mind trading down. Like if, if you have the 13th pick, I think you have to find somebody to use it on. Um it would just probably not sit well with, and again, you don't want to make decisions just based on fan reaction, but I think the fan base would probably react relatively poorly to trading your first lottery pick that you've had um, in six years. Um, 
But like, I mean, like realistically, let's say, all right, if they really wanted Trey Mann, I think Trey Mann probably goes outside the lottery right now, like just based on everything that we're seeing. Um, if they really want to trade man, okay, then trade down and get him, try and get some, some value out of the 13th pick and, and get down to a place where you can get him at. But unless they have someone that they're like, absolutely sure that, that they have to draft in this case, I don't really think that they should trade down in terms of trading up. I mean, I would be all for it, but I don't know what that means necessarily. Um, like there aren't really a ton of guys that I look at, at the top of the draft that, um, I think you would trade like let's say you trade Turner and um in the 13th pick to to move up to like eight or something. Um, even then, like I don't know what that necessarily looks like. Okay, so you're drafting, let's say Scotty Barnes falls to eight and you draft Scotty Barnes. I love Scotty Barnes. I'm still not entirely sure about what his fit would look like in Indiana, especially next to, to Domas, but um I mean, does that make you a better team now? I don't think so. Um, and given that, like, I think if they hadn't hired Rick Carlisle, I would be very much so for that. Um, and I still would be, frankly, like getting a guy like Scotty or just anybody who's a top 10 pick makes sense. Like, do it. Get get good players and, and figure it out. Um, but I think when you commit almost $30 million to Rick Carlisle, he's not coming there for you to uh, to trade out and, and draft a top 10 pick. Like that's, I, I don't envision that happening. Yeah. Uh, so a slightly different, but which of the two bigs would you prefer they keep? If they had to trade one of the two, which of the two would you want to be a pacer for the long term? It's tough because I, I mean, I'll, I'll just cop out and be honest. Like I would rather have both guys because I, I hate the idea of trading one of them. Cause they're both awesome people. Like I, I talked to miles a couple of times and he's great. Um, I've never gotten to talk to Domas, but he seems like a really great dude too. And I just enjoy both their games like thoroughly. Like I've watched every single game they played for the last two years. So it's weird to think about uh, maybe not seeing one of them. Um, I think the easy answer for me and what I always resort to is just whoever gets you the most value is who you trade um, and whoever, um, whatever trade gets you the, uh, the idea that you're most confident in in your team moving forward, I think is what you have to do. I don't think that you can just pinpoint like, Oh, well, this is how we, we want our, our team to look like, I think you have to really feel out and see, okay, what are our options? What is the best option? And what do we think we can do with that? Um, I don't really think that there's necessarily one way to team build. I, I, I always push back on that. Like, I think a lot of people dislike uh, Sabonis's game and I understand it. Um, I personally disagree. Like, I think a lot of people will point out, well, you can't build a good defense around him. And I disagree with that. I think we saw this year, um, Nate Bjorkman's defense was just galaxy brain in a lot of regards. It didn't make a lot of sense. And um, part of it is, yes, injuries, but also he they just employed a, a scheme that didn't make sense for the guys that they had. I do think you could play something similar to what Denver does. Is it harder to build a good defense around him? For sure. But I also think a lot of people just undersell what he can do offensively. Like he's not just a ball hog. He's not just posting up. He's one of the best role men in the league. Uh, one of the five best passers as a big man in the league. I mean, probably second best passer as a big man in the league, right behind Jokic. Um, he just has a really good feel for the game. And most importantly, he's 24. Like he's going to grow still. Like I think a lot of people view him as a finished product and I frankly disagree um, but that being said, too, like if you could get a player like I don't think you could get Bradley Beal for Demonis Sabonis, but if you could get a player like Bradley Beal for Demonis Sabonis, I would do it 100 uh, percent because I think it just it's 
easier to like a Bradley Beal is just a better player. B, um, he's locked up on a long term deal right now, still, uh, or at least a decent couple of years on him. Uh, but also, it just it would it's time to make a change. And if you get a player who's that close in value, then I think you do it. But also too, like if you can get more value for trading Miles and do it. But also, I mean, Miles would have been uh, if he didn't get injured this year. He probably finishes second in defensive player of the year. Like, absolutely fantastic. He really grew as an offensive player. Um, and I also, I just hate whenever people say the idea of Miles Turner is better than Miles Turner because I, that just tells me you don't actually watch him play. Um, like legitimately, I, I just think people undersell how good he is as a defender. Everybody brings up, oh, well, he gets bitched in the post by Joel Embiid. I'm like, well, who the fuck doesn't? Okay. There's like two guys in the NBA who can hang with Joel Embiid in the post for like a stretch. And Miles isn't one of them, but he's, you know, 99% of the time, he is the best defender on the court for any scenario. Um, and I mean, he really figured out how to, how to, to put together his drive game this year, which was huge. I think that's more important for him than shooting. Um, like I'll always say, I think being able to catch and drive is way more important than being able to shoot. Like it's good to be able to shoot, but um, you just have to be respectable enough where people have to close out. I think it's way more important to be able to put the ball on the floor and make decisions. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you could be good with either scenario, but I'm just not there with, with both guys anymore. So that was my cop-out answer of saying, whoever gets you uh, the best return. That's, uh, that's as good as of a cop-out answer as I've ever heard in my life. Um, I'll, just, I'll just add before, you know, I think this is a little bit where the rubber meets the road for uh, Kevin Pritchard. Um, he, he's, hasn't really had to make of, you know, any lottery picks really. Um, I can't remember if Miles Turner was under him or not. Uh, he was, yeah, he was right before. Okay. He was technically a Larry Bird pick if I remember correctly. Okay. I think that's, yeah, I think you're right. Um, but it, it's sort of with this team where it's at have you know, hiring, you know, in my opinion, a top three coach in the NBA. Um, having these two bigs, one of which I'm sure can get you some assets um, in a trade. It's just it's just sort of about we're really going to see what his philosophy is. Because um, so far, it's just sort of been kind of player collection, I feel like. It's just when there's a good player, he'll take them and then kind of figure it out. And I would say it's worked somewhat. But I think this is where we're really going to see what type of team uh, Kevin Pritchard can build and the Pacers are one of the teams I'm most excited to watch this off season because I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of different ways they can go. And also I know that I'm going to get uh, great content from you and uh, Caitlin Cooper at Indy Cornrows. So uh, speaking of that, I'll throw it to you, uh, Mark, just sort of plug yourself, tell the people they can find you uh, all the stuff you need. You can go on for 30 minutes. If you got it, just <laughs> let the people know. Well, yeah, first of all, I appreciate you guys having me on. This is a lot of fun. Um, I think I would say, you can find me at M Schindler NBA on Twitter. That's where all I mean, I put all my stuff there. I'm, I'm very uh, hashtag online um, as, as anybody can be pretty aware. Um, I do a lot of my work over at premium hoops, which is a site I co-founded with my, my friend Nate. And we have a lot of great people who work over there for the entire podcast network. Um, Sense and skill abilities. Fantastic. I recommend listening to that. Uh, and then I do all my other work over at Indie Cornrows. Um, yeah, we have uh, a lot of stuff going on in a lot of different places. But uh, yeah, just uh, follow me on Twitter and uh, hopefully you get you get some out of it. Yeah, uh, Schindler, one of the best follows uh, 
I think one of the first, I, I don't want to like big name kind of to follow me back. I, I, very, I am not a big name, man. That's you are to me. It was, it was, uh, it. it was surreal. And the other day PD followed me and I was mm. like, I was, I texted the group chat we're in for our, uh, for our podcast, like freaking out. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then premium hoops too, is just easily like all my lunchtime reads come for premium hoops, pretty much just some of the best, best basketball content out there. Um, it, it's so good. And, uh, you're doing a great job over there, man. Stone. Appreciate it, man. Uh, this is great. Uh, you were great. Mark was great. Everyone's great. I hope this pod was great. Uh, we've been the Upside Sweeps Draft Podcast. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.